Civil disobedience. How many of you know what's going on at our Supreme Court right now? One, I actually want to know who knows. Okay, there's about a quarter of you. That's a good percentage, actually. What's going on right now is historic. And it will, in my estimation, affect the way we serve Christ in this country. It is very likely that our Supreme Court will pass into law um, federal mandate about same-sex marriage. And as a result of that, there are things, uh, rumors, statements that I've been hearing coming out of the White House um, that pertain to Christian universities in this country. But it will also affect churches because both the school systems as well as churches are currently tax-exempt. That's one of the benefits that we've had for many years in this country. Um, but those are the things that possibly, maybe even probably, will go by the wayside for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of the state laws that have been in place, um, starting in Colorado and Hawaii, up in the North New England um, states, and then now 30, what, about 34 states have, made, have passed these things, where law changes in the words with regard to discrimination about sexual orientation has come into play so that with the federal law, it is very likely that I will be arrested if I preach against homosexuality. These are things that have already taken place in Canada. These are things that are taking place in Europe. And it is a matter of time in my opinion, if we continue on our trajectory, that it will take place in this country and maybe sooner than we'd like to think. And so with that in mind, the question is, and it's not limited to this subject matter, by the way. I'm li before I give you the question, it could be about um, certain Christians saying, well, what do we do in that situation? You know, do I perform the marriage? Am I going to be forced to perform marriages for same-sex marriages if this comes to pass for federal law? Um, but it doesn't have to be homosexuality. It could be on stem cell research through embryonic stem cells. Do you support that? And if you do or if you don't, you know, how are you involved in that? Do you support the taxes? Because some Christians believe we don't have to pay taxes because it's used for things like that. Uh, abortions. You know, at, at what point does it affect your walk with regard to abortions? If, if you are against such things from a standpoint of serving God, at what point does your submission to authorities take place and you cross the line into what we now refer to as civil disobedience? And when we're talking about civil disobedience, we're talking about breaking the law that exists because you believe the law to be wrong in the eyes of God's word and his teaching. That's what we're looking at with regard to civil disobedience. So you're actually going to be breaking the law, but you're trying to do it because you have in your mind, from a standpoint of Christianity, something that is a higher law, God's word. That's the focus of what we're looking at. And again, it could be a slew of number of other issues. It doesn't have to be related to any of um, the things that right now, but because this is what's in the news, between now and the, the decision that our Supreme Court will make in June, this is a very important thing for us to discuss. In fact, yesterday as I was going through the sermon, Dane saw 
the non-existent PowerPoint, and, and he said, Dad, does that mean Mr. Joe, Officer Joe, would have to arrest you if you were preaching on this? I said, well, it depends on a couple of things. Number one, what's his view on civil disobedience? And number two, what's his view about homosexuality and, and how does it correspond to his job? But I said, in all fairness, if he's going to uphold the law as a police officer, he would have to arrest me. That's what would have to take place. And so I talked to Joe about that this morning. And he said, that's what would have to happen. So whether he does it or not, that's a different story. But that's what he's needing to do if he's going to be an officer of the law and uphold the law of the land. And so, oh, there's Joe. He can speak for himself, but he's peeking in right now. <laughs> and so these are things that are very important because our goal is to seek God. Our calling is to reach the lost. And so we have a couple of scriptures that we need to look at because there are going to be these scriptures that we go, well, when do we go from here to here? For instance, Romans chapter 13. Many of you are familiar with the passage. I want us to look at that text here. In Romans chapter 13, not unlike what we just read out of 1 Peter chapter 2, and in fact, 1 Peter chapter 2 gets into some some specifics based upon the general teaching of the previous verses and i'm going to read those previous verses verses 11 and 12 later on but i want to read out of romans 13 and i want to preface romans 13 with this the apostle paul is writing most likely when the emperor nero is ruling according to history he's one of the very few cases between him and some Chinese rulers and some others in history, very few in history, that had homosexual marriages. And he had one during the time, I believe, when this was being written. And it is my estimation that with the historical writings, Christians were hated, not only by the world at large, but by Nero himself. It is said that because of fires that were started, he put blame on Christians so that others would hate them. This is an environment of complete degradation during this time, whether it was the Greeks during their heyday or the Roman Empire just before their fall. The society was pretty bad. The rulers were completely selfish. And then we have this writing from Paul. Paul says, under this, or with this backdrop, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. 
For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear me very clearly, because what I'm saying is very important. You have to listen carefully, I think, so you don't misconstrue what I'm going to say. It is my personal view that we have a lot of ungodly leadership. Well, that means there are some godly leadership. But there's a lot of ungodly leadership. But it is my other personal view that these leaders who I may disagree with regard to policies and with regard to lifestyles, I believe want what's good. Wanting what's good and taking us down the road of what I think is good may be completely different but I believe from their vantage point, for all that we could say, well, here's what they're trying to do and everything, I believe that what they think is good is what they're trying to implement. Whether it's the right for a woman to choose, whether to abort this child, may seem insane in my own eyes. But in their minds, they're wanting to have a woman to have that right and they liken it to a civil right. Again, I don't agree with it 100%. I completely disagree with it. But I do believe that in their minds, they believe they're doing what is right. I believe it twisted right. But I believe that's what they're trying to do. I believe that's what leaders want to do. There are going to be some leaders that want evil, yes. But I cannot read any individual's heart. I can see their fruit. But by and large... I repeat, by and large, there are rulers that want to do what's right. And I believe there are rulers in this land that said, listen, we have discrimination. And discrimination has been shown to take place against homosexuality. Many of those that want to be married in same-sex marriage want the benefit of marriage the way men and women have the benefit of marriage. And if you're saying that we can't have that, then we're being discriminated against. And these leaders are saying, that's right, we're, they're being discriminated, so we want equality for all individuals. That's what's taking place here. Whether you agree with that or not, that's the mindset that many have reported. And I'm relaying to you their mindset. If someone else comes along, and by the way, I believe I've already heard of a case up in New England... Uh, I just can't remember it, so I'm not able to reference it to you. And for sure, one in India, where there are others coming along and are saying, if this right does exist for same-sex marriage, we want it between man and beast. I'm not kidding. There was a woman in India that recently got married, I think in the last couple years, to a snake. We read of these things in Scripture. The latest phrase I've heard is thruples. So that you can have multiple husbands or multiple wives. It does not end. We can read Scripture and we can tell our neighbors, hey, God's Word says one man and one woman. And there's a definition of marriage that has existed for many centuries. And I've looked up the history with regard to the same-sex movement. 
Homosexuality has been with us for millennial. Homosexual marriages, very, very rare. There's a difference. It's not until the 1900s that homosexual marriage, in fact, let me just go back to the 1990s, that homosexual marriages have come on a worldwide scene. And so you can read of the marriages, but they are far and few from a historical standpoint. But since the 1990s, it has changed, and particularly all throughout the Western civilization. And so these are the things that directly are affecting us in this country right now. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, so how does this affect me and my personal walk? Where does it stand with regard to what we refer to as civil disobedience? Because in the news, you may have read in all the major news outlets reported this past week, whether it's Governor Santorum or Governor Huckabee or some of the others who are in the gubernatorial or the presidential races, they've made statements that we will not obey the law, that we will have our moment of civil disobedience because we believe you have crossed the red line and we can no longer accept the law because we believe it to be contrary to the will of God. That's what's at stake here. That's what we're looking at. And so when we find passages, we could go to Exodus chapter 1. That's the first passage that I can think of, of civil disobedience, by the way. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said, You midwives, I want you to ensure that the babies that are born who are male are all thrown into the river so they're killed. All the girls you can let live. And of course, when you read the first few verses of Exodus chapter 1, it says that these women feared God more than Pharaoh and did not heed the king's command. That was civil disobedience. They did not listen to the authority. We can read in Esther. We can read of Daniel. We can read in Acts chapter 4, and we can read in Acts chapter 5, where in Daniel's case, he prayed, even though the law had been decreed with regard to the Medes and Persians, that no one would bow down except to the king. No one would worship any god except the king. And of course, Daniel went ahead and still prayed to God. Or when... The disciples of Jesus were told not to preach in the name of Jesus by the religious leaders of the Jews in Acts chapter 4 as well as in Acts chapter 5. They went ahead and did so. In fact, picking up in Acts chapter 5 is a passage that a number of you are familiar with with regard to the concept of civil disobedience. We read this passage a number of times where the disciples said to the religious leaders, we must obey God rather than man. And to read these passages... And we hear examples, biblically, of civil disobedience. There was a man by the name of Harry Thoreau. I think his last, he was a good friend with um, um, Mr. Walmart, <laughs> Ralph Emerson. <laughs> um, he was one of the first people who wrote what we now refer to as, as um, I think it's called Civil Disobedience, was the name of the article. And it wasn't that he was a religious person or anything like that. He was 
I guess he was spiritual, but not uh, religious as far as Christianity is concerned. And he wrote about the fact that we have a conscience that, that we have, and as a result of this reality, it be fruitless to not exercise our conscience when we see something that is wrong. In other words, have you not as children ever talked back to your parents because you were stubborn enough to do so when you thought that they were wrong? Mine have. <laughs> like, hey, I'm still right when I'm wrong. <laughs> That's my being, I, because I'm dad kind of thing with the children sometimes. And, uh, and yet they will stand saying, dad, you were wrong. And they're going to stand for their right. That happens because of our conscience. And as citizens in a country where we have currently, it's under attack, our First and Second Amendments, whereupon we have the, the established freedom by the Constitution to speak, even if my speech may be unsavory in your eyes or your ears, that I may say things that you disagree with or say things that make you appalled with me. I have that free or freedom to do so. But at what point then does this freedom go past the line where we actually break laws now? When we're told to submit to these authorities, that these authorities are appointed by God. And that's what I wanted to do to fine tune this so that when we walk out of this room, you have something concrete to show here's the difference. I use abortion as an example, and I use same-sex marriage as an example. If the law of same-sex marriage does come to pass in this country, would that change you and your belief? No. Will it force you to have to do anything yourself? No. It may force me. I mean, we may have a couple that will come to me, and the couple may say, Mitch, we are homosexuals, and we want you to perform the wedding ceremony. And I can say yes, or I can say no. If the law says, Mitch, if you don't do it, you're discriminating, and if you're discriminating, you're breaking the law, and if you're breaking the law, you have a fine or jail or whatever they deem for the, for the law break. But I may be affected. But until that time, it's all speculation. And so... There are going to be laws like this, like abortion. Am I a doctor that doesn't perform abortions and with the law that may come to pass where it says, now not only in these clinics are abortions taking place, but if you're a doctor and someone comes in, you have to give an abortion, now you're personally affected. There's the line that we're faced with. Okay? And so as far as I'm concerned, what I see in Scripture is, Unless you are personally being told to sin against God, what you believe to be sinful, then you have no choice but to obey the authorities. I don't know how else to tell you that. And we have tax money that, that is going and has been going for years to things that I believe are sinful. But it's not causing me to sin even if I send my money in. Some think it, it does and that's why they don't want to pay their taxes. And some haven't from that standpoint. In the name of Christianity. 
and not all of you will agree with the word I just said, but I believe that's the, the line that is drawn between obeying your governing authorities and civil disobedience. If the law is said you cannot preach the gospel in this country, it is illegal, like it is in China, like it is in North Korea, like it is in Middle Eastern countries, I'd break the law. Because your souls are more important than the law. Your souls are more important than my well-being. And that's the crux that we're at. At the very beginning of this sermon, I said to you that we are called to live as Christians. We are told in 1 Peter 2, and I want you to turn there, we are told who we are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to remember this between now and your dying day because this crux that we're looking at will show you where your heart lies. I really do believe it. It, it will either be in this world and of this world, in the name of Christianity, by the way, or it's going to be in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to, to read this with me. Let me see. Oh, I mean, I wonder, I was, I was like, I can't find the passage. I'm in 2 Peter. <laughs> Everything is out of whack. All right, here we go. Backing up to verse 11. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want to read that in light of the following verses again because I want you to focus in on some of these words. I beg you as sojourners. What does that mean? It means that our citizenship is not here. We may be citizens of the United States. Brethren, this is not our home. And we need that reminder all the time. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Do we sing that song by faith? Or is it just a song to sing and then we go back and say, I'm a citizen of this country and I demand my rights. Because, by the way, we do have the ability to demand our rights in this country. <laughs> we have that freedom to do so. And, by the way, if you exercise it, it's not sinful to demand your right as a citizen. That's the freedom we have because of the laws we currently have in this country. So I want that to be clear. But that said, there are people that don't have that freedom, the freedom that we are allowed in this country currently. And at some point, we may lose this very freedom that we are able to speak as freely as we are. But we are not ultimately citizens in this country. We gave up our earthly citizenship when we said, Lord, I'm going to die this man of sin. Put him to death right alongside of your death for my sins. And I now become a citizen in your kingdom. I'm under your rulership now. And as a result, what does that calling look like? Brethren, what that calling look like, looks like is like Jesus. Jesus was called to suffer and die for our sins. We are called to suffer in Christ Jesus because that's exactly what Peter is writing about in this letter. He goes on in, their, in chapter 4, letter saying... Listen, if any of you are going to suffer, let him not suffer as an evildoer. Suffer as a Christian. 
because you're lacking under Christ. And that's what you've been called to, brethren. We have just lived, and I say this over and over. It's going to be redundant depending on the sermons. We live in a special and unique era in world history. Ours is not the norm. Ours is the exception where we've had peace, where we've had, for the most part in this country, godliness rule the land. We are headed back to what I believe is normal, what I read in Scripture. And that is we are in a dark and depraved world where the name of Jesus is hated. That's where we're going back to. But if our history is limited to our, you know, century or our decades of life, that short era in world history may become skewed for us in how we view the way the world works. The world works against God. And if we are in Christ Jesus, we are told in 1 John, as well as John chapter 13, John chapter 17, verse 14, and other passages, that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Peter says, and that's what John says, if in fact we understand our calling. And so he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain against fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And that includes how we go about living out our lives on earth in what we would view as something that is completely against God. And so after stating this, he says in verse 13, Therefore, in light of these things, how you live as sojourners and pilgrims, submit yourselves to every ordinance of, the man, of man for the Lord's sake. Because as he suffered, so must you. Brethren, we have not had any suffering. But that's where we're headed. I believe we're on the cusp of something that is forever going to change the course of this country. And we're already on that trajectory, but it's, it'll be official. If it doesn't happen, it'll be because of the grace of God in my mind. But brethren, we need to submit to the, the laws of this land. And as surely as I stand before you today, I have individuals I've come to love who are homosexuals. And I love them dearly. I love them every bit as much as I love my neighbors who are fornicators and who are adulterers and who are drug addicts. I love them every bit as much because we should. They are precious souls in the sight of God. But I will stand with the word of God. I will stand on the truth of God and if the law passes and makes what we do as illegal, I will be civilly disobedient. I will continue to preach the truth against what we see in Scripture as the sin of homosexuality. And because it's my responsibility as a preacher of God's Word, realize that you have the same responsibility in your personal lives. You may not be in the pulpit but you're going to either stand with God for his truth or not. And at some point, your belief may cause you to come face to face with whether or not you'll need to be civilly disobedient. There's no doubt in my mind, 
in, in the minds of Christianity where we have this spectrum. Some believe they're already here. And some believe, no, it's further down the road. And it just depends on, on issue to issue. But know this. We're all going to be faced with it at some point. It's a matter of time. What are you going to do? What I'm asking and begging you from a biblical standpoint is stand with Christ. Be ready to suffer for the cause of his namesake. That's how real this is. Most of the time I'll just preach out of a scripture and use that as the lesson. And we, we looked at Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. But that's because we have something that is very important going on in our country that demands our attention right now. And you need to be prepared as children of God who love God and who loves your neighbor on how you deal with this. If you want, run for office if you want to change things. I heard it said, mind you, from Christians that it's elite, not illegal. It is sinful for Christians to be politicians. I disagree 100%. I believe you can be one. If you choose not to be one, then the consequence is someone else is going to be. And you need to abide by those who are over you as such leaders. Great thing is, we have a leader right now that we are subject to. We chose him, although he first chose us, from a standpoint that he gave us his begotten son and that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved from their sins. And when you die, you die to this world, you die to the old man of sin, and when you become a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he not only becomes your savior, he becomes your Lord. And you submit yourself to his will so that we, we can reflect his will and his love to those who are dying and need salvation. That's a calling for you. And when he calls you into his kingdom, you will be called to suffer for his namesake at some point. And when you do so, you glorify God being able to do so. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 4, by the way. When, they had, when the disciples were beaten for being civilly disobedient, by the way, they went out and still continued, and they prayed to God, giving him thanks that they were able to suffer the way Jesus did. Now, that may not seem like a great invitation for some of you, but that's because the world may be so attached to your life right now. But if you want salvation from this world, from the darkness of this world, Jesus offers that right now and he offers it to you for eternity if you believe that he is the Christ the son of God I want you to be buried with him because his word teaches this that buried with him die to that old man raised to walk in newness of life and let others see the love of Christ dwelling in you that's your calling and if you need to return to him by all means we'd be happy to pray for you but accept that invitation as it's given right now as together we stand and sing <laughs>